Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible. Not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word of scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith while we learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Not my will, Lord, but God's will be done by giving our lives to his son, Jesus the Christ. saints i hope this day finds you well this is october the 10th now let me get something straight first i know i said last week that i would share episode 10 saturday and then episode 11 on sunday but i was just i was tired and a little busy yesterday so i didn't do episode 10 but hey i'm here today so I will probably, and I promise this, um, share episode 11 one day this week, and then we can move on into 12 next weekend. Now, uh, I am going to be very busy this upcoming week. I have a couple of doctor's appointments. I have um, an appointment with an attorney. I have uh, the B-man coming. Yes, the B-man coming. To my place i have apparently i have a big old bee nest inside my walls mm-hmm so he's coming to tear the wall out and remove the honeybees so i have to go through all of that this weekend <laughs> this week so with that said we are going to get started and for those of you who are tuning in for the first time i am dr Kamala d i am your host and teacher of learning bible truth i know you heard the intro uh, I typically teach from the NIV during this series. I've been switching from the NIV and reading some scriptures from the New King James Version, and I will do that again today. I am using the NIV to teach from and read from, but I will be switching back and forth and reading from the New King James and something new just to speed up the uh, series I may be paraphrasing through some scriptures, and when I do that, I will let you guys know. At the end of the day, if you have your Bibles, um, we will be in the same place. As I paraphrase through the scriptures, you will see what I'm reading. And I chose to do that when I was studying so that it'll be easier for God to give you the understanding because the understanding doesn't come from me, saints. It is God who gives the increase. I can plant, I can sow, I can water, but it is God's responsibility to give you the understanding of these scriptures. However, it's my responsibility not to complicate it, okay? So with that said, I want you guys to go to Hebrews 
Yes, we will be starting from Hebrews today instead of uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But that's okay. We will be moving back <laughs> in those books after we read Hebrews. And um, I'm sorry, guys, for those who are tuning in for the first time, what we are doing is finding Jesus in the scriptures. Um, like he said in John chapter 5, um, verses 39 and 40, he was talking to some unbelieving uh, Sadducees and Pharisees and telling them to search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but it is they, they who the scriptures, who testify of me. So we are finding scriptures in the Old Testament that are really testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 3, saints, and I'm cleaning my glasses at the same time. I will be switching glasses too. Uh, I, I use reading glasses. Um, and I am reading from the NIV. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. Testifying to what would be said in the future. Okay, he's referring to the Christ. Ah, verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, we are continuing our discussion, um, finding Jesus in the life of Moses. We are finding Jesus in the life of Moses, and so far, um, it's been, uh, several thousands of you that, uh, finally, un uh, understanding what these scriptures are saying, uh, to God be all the glory. Uh, I thank God you are listening. We are now up to 3,800 listeners and counting. I get the stats, um, as they go or as they grow and especially on Sunday. So we, we are probably at 4,000 today. I'll let you guys know sometime this week when, um, I share the, uh, episode 11. Okay. Now we read in numbers chapter 12, verse three, it says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the earth at that time. Okay. Now of Jesus, we read in Philippians two, six, and seven, and I'm reading from the new King James. It says, let me see, verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to, to be equal with God. Now the NIV says, who being in the very nature of God, either way it go, he was God in the flesh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself to be nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, both Jesus and Moses were examples of extreme humility. Both were also faithful in all they did. Now, as I mentioned before, both were priests of God. We read in Leviticus 8.15, Moses slaughtered the bull and, and took some of the blood. And with his finger, he put it on all the horns of the altar to purify the altar. Now, you can read some comparative 
um, scriptures. You can read Psalms 99 verse 6 and Hebrews 9 chapter 14. And as I call out scriptures for you to write down, I'm, I'm sharing those so that you can study later. Okay. Because if I were to read every single scripture that I have studied, we would be here five, six hours a day. And you guys, you know, we don't need to do that for you to get understanding of, of this message. Now, both Jesus and Moses were also kings. You know, while Jesus still reigns eternally over his church and his creation, Moses ruled over the house of Israel in the, and in, in the wilderness, let's say. He ruled over Israel while they were in the wilderness. Now, as you're going to learn as we move through this message today, uh, God ended up stripping Moses from that task. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, we're going through some serious stuff today. Now, as I mentioned in the last chapter, both Jesus and Moses were prophets and, and they were mediators between God and man. Now, you can compare Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 5 with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Okay, both Jesus and Moses were the initiators of a covenant. Moses initiated the Mosaic covenant of Exodus chapter 20. Okay, and following while Jesus introduced, introduced the new and better covenant of his blood in Matthews 26 verse 28 with Hebrews 8 and 6. Now, Moses had appointed 12 men to send into the land of the Gentiles. That was the land of Canaan. Okay. So also Jesus appointed 12 disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. That's in Matthew 28 verse 19. And also each also appointed 70 men. Jesus may have appointed maybe uh, 72 Moses in numbers 11, 24 he brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent. Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them in uh, pairs of twos ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And that's in Luke chapter 10. You can uh, start reading at verse 1. Now, both Jesus and Moses had intimate communion, uh, communion with God. Okay, they each brought the law of God to their people. Moses, of course, brought down from the uh, mountain the Ten Commandments that they were inscribed on tablets and um, of stone by God and gave the nation Israel its ceremonial and civil laws. Okay, Jesus, on the other hand, expanded the law of Moses in the Sermon on the Mount and other places and fulfilled the entire law of Moses. Now, did you hear what I just said? Jesus fulfilled the entire laws that he himself gave Moses to give to the children of Israel. And if I'm not mistaken, it was 613 of them. So that's why people who are trying to keep the laws of Moses today have already been condemned because you can't keep them. That's why we needed a savior. That's why we needed a savior because no one, none of the Israelites like Peter said, we couldn't keep the laws of Moses and our fathers couldn't keep them. So what are you guys trying to keep the law for? You can't do it. You already failed and God is no longer accepting animal sacrifices. So you already condemned if you are trying to keep the laws of Moses to be declared righteous in the sight of God. Now, both Jesus and Moses, they fasted. Oh yeah, they were, they were always fasting. Moses in Exodus 34, 29 
and Jesus in Matthew 4, 2. Now we read this in Exodus um, chapter 34, verse 29 and 30. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. It was bright. It was shining. It was glowing saints. And they were afraid to come near him. Now, later on, another high, uh, on another high mountain, there Jesus transfigured before them, them who his disciples. Now, this is in Matthew 17, verse 2. His face shone like the sun and his clothes become, became as white as the light. Now, Jesus' disciples also were terrified on the mount. And who appeared with them or with Jesus and his disciples there on the mountain? It's called the mountain of transfiguration. And let me read Matthew 17, 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is one of the rare times in the New Testament where God allowed Moses and Elijah to come from paradise because heaven had not been created yet. Jesus had not ascended on high yet so that he can create a place for us to come. So they were basically in the bosom of, of Abraham. But this is one of the rare times he allowed them to come. Now, I know you may or may not have heard this before. Elijah represented the prophets, all of the prophets. Moses represented the law and Jesus represented both. And he represented ultimately grace. Okay. The grace of God. Moses appeared a second time in scripture, just as Jesus will appear a second time to put, put an end to the sin and all the chaos and turmoil of this earth. You can, you know, if you want to study that, you can read Acts chapter one, verse 11. Now, Moses washed his brothers um, in Leviticus 8, 6. And just as Jesus would one day wash his disciples in John 3, uh, 13, 5, both were perfectly obedient to the father. Now, in Exodus 40, 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. Now, Jesus said in John 8, 29, I always do what pleases the father. Now, finally, both Moses and Jesus died for the sake of their brothers. You can compare Psalms 106.32 and Deuteronomy 3.26. Now, giving them an inheritance of a better place to call their own, Joshua chapter 1 verse 14, and you can compare it with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Now, I want to ask you one question. Could all of this be a coincidence? Mm -mm, absolutely not. This is God's wonderful word. Now we witness his miraculous power and truth through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we do, saints. Now I want you to trot on over there to Leviticus. Go ahead on. Trot over there to Leviticus chapter 16 verses 8 through 10. Okay, and I'm reading from the NIV, and I may paraphrase through here. That is to give you a better understanding of what I'm saying so that God can give you the wisdom and the revelation of these scriptures as I read. Okay, that way I won't have to read the scriptures and then paraphrase and give you a revelation. 
So starting at verse eight, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. Underline, he is to cast lots for the two goats. That's important. One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Now, if you can remember in the last episode, I said I was going to give you guys uh, a more detailed explanation as to um, Jesus being our scapegoat and how and why. And I'm going to do that in this episode. Okay. Now, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. Uh, verse 10, but the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it to the desert as a scapegoat. Oh, goodness. Now, once a year, saints, on the day of atonement, one of the offerings made for the sins of the people involved two goats. Okay. Lots were cast to see which goat would be slaughtered as a sin offering to Yahweh. And then it would be taken out to a far, to the far wilderness and then released. Now, we don't know what the lot looked like. Mm -mm, we don't know. Only that it was a device used to determine a choice or to make a choice. And, and, and you can read in John 19, 24, where the soldiers cast lots for Jesus' clothes. Mm-hmm. I had to take a drink, saying some drinking tea. Now, the first goat represents Jesus' death on the cross, while the second, called the scapegoat, represents the fact that Jesus' atoning death carried his people's sins away. And you can also compare this to Psalms 103.12, which says... As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, both goats were actually one offering. Mm. Let me say that again. Both goats are actually or were actually one offering. The goat to be sacrificed was slain by Aaron, the high priest, and its blood was sprinkled on the altar. That was the one sprinkled on the altar for our sins. Okay. After this, we read of the scapegoat, uh, scapegoat in Leviticus 16, 21 and 22. And it, this is the NIV. It says he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins and put them on the goat's head. Uh, verse 22, he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, all whose sins, the sins of the Israelites. He carried it to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. The man who was given the task to lead the goat out there. Um, he shall release it in the desert. Now, the laying on of Aaron's hands here represents the transference of Israel's sin on an innocent goat. Underline that word, innocent. 
it was laid on, the sins of Israel was laid on the head of an innocent goat. Now, later in Israel's history, the prophet Isaiah wrote about the scapegoat, looking forward to uh, the coming of, of him who would be its fulfillment. And that's the coming of the Christ that uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about. It's in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, iniquity of, of us all. Now the prophet Isaiah was referring to the Messiah, was referring to the Christ, the son of the living God, who was to take upon himself the sin of all of us, the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. Now I want you to... Uh, key in on Isaiah 53, 6 again, we all like sheep have gone astray. Like people today, each of us has turned to his own way, trying to create your own righteousness, trying to get God to accept you and you excluding Jesus. Can't happen, Captain. Can't happen. You have to believe on the finished works of Jesus to be saved. Religion can't save you. Joining a church denomination can't save you. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't want to get carried away too much right there at this time. But you guys know that my specialty is teaching about salvation and how you can get saved. And it's only one way. And we do that at the end of the episode. Now, Isaiah 53, 12, we see Jesus as this sin offering. Isaiah says in 53, 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, underline many, because it doesn't say all. He bore the sin of many. And I will explain that as we go through this episode. And made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, have mercy. I want you to key in on what Isaiah said in verse 12, where he said, he poured out his life unto death. This is what Jesus did. The, the, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. You know why? Because a lot of people, like today, will not accept the finished works of Christ. Some, such as Muslims, don't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah, they just say he was a good man. Yeah, he was a prophet. Some has gone as far as to associate and attach Jesus with an idol God. Saying that, yeah, he was just a slave to Allah. What? How dare you attach the living God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, to an idol God named Allah? Oh, my. Oh, my. And, and, and toward the end of uh, 53.12 says, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, a man had to lead the scapegoat far into the wilderness. That's what uh, I was leading to about how Jesus is our scapegoat. Now there, the man released the animal. Now when the man returned to the camp, he had to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water because afterward he, he, he could come back into the camp. You can read that in Leviticus 16, 26. Now the slightest transgression that the animal bore was not welcome back in the camp. Now, any remnants of the sin had to be removed from the goat's attendant. Now, this reminds us of Hebrews 10, 17, which says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, saints. So that's why when you got some unsaved people or some uh, saints who are straddling on the fence trying to uh, tell you about your sins, you tell them my sins uh, have been sent to the sea of forgetfulness and God is not going to remember them no more. And the apostle John says that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that is not to confess your sins to be saved. That is a, a saint, a believer who, who falls every day because we in this sinful body, our body is not saved. And if you turn your back on your body, honey, your body will be sinning all day. So we have to keep our body into subjection and in, and in obedience in the word of God. We have to do it. God ain't going to do it. You know, our spirit man is saved, but our body is not. No, our body is decaying every day. That's why we are getting older. That's why our features are changing. We are getting older. And that's why if you stump your toe, that pain is going to shoot through it. But your spirit man is not injured. Your spirit man is saved. Now, um, Hebrews 10, 17, let me say it again before I move forward. It says there are sins and lawless acts or either lawless deeds, de depending on which version you have, I will remember no more. Now, following the demise of the slain goat, um, it was take, it was to be taken outside the encampment, that goat. Then this was the goat that was slain and his blood was sprinkled on the altar. That goat had to be taken outside the encampment and then burned. Yes. Leviticus 16, 27 tells us the bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Okay. Their hides, flesh, and off all are to be burned up. My Lord, my Lord, those poor animals, but hey, that's what God told them to do back in the biblical days. Now, therefore, both goats, will, um, they wound up outside the camp, just like Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Now, the author of Hebrews then says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. I'm a paraphrase through here. He said, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Jesus was the scapegoat for our sins, the innocent for the sinful. Remember that goat was innocent. The uh, sins of the Israelites was put on the uh, head of an innocent person. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. A sinful person can't die for you. Had to be somebody who was pure. Only Jesus could do that for us. Remember, he was innocent. And um, the, uh, God says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin or either who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why we need Jesus. The Bible says in him, in him who Jesus we might become the righteousness of God, but we have to be in Christ. We can't become the righteousness of God by ourselves. Like those who are out there trying to create their own way to get to God. It ain't going to happen, Captain. Those people are lost. They are lost souls. Because Jesus said, if you don't believe in me, you know, you, you are already condemned. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we have an awesome savior, saints. We have an awesome savior. So um, Leviticus 17, we are continuing in Leviticus. Go to chapter 17, uh, verses 8 through 14. 
And I'm going to paraphrase through these scriptures. And if you are following, you will see where I am. I'm paraphrasing Leviticus 17, 18 through 14. Any Israelite or any um, alien or foreigner living among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in blood. I'm so glad I am. Uh, I finally reached this section because I have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of explaining to do here. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of religions have uh, misinterpreted these scriptures to, to the people. And as a result, we have people dying in hospitals because they are refusing to accept tran blood transfusions. And God doesn't say anything about you not being able to accept a blood transfusion. We are finally at these scriptures. Hold on, saints. Let me, let me read it again. Any Israelite or, or any foreigner living among them. Now, the foreigners, that mean us. Okay, now this was at that time. We're not talking about today, but this was at that time. Uh, people who are not a Jew are considered aliens or foreigners. Okay, living among them who eats, who eats any blood. Eat. I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. This is God talking to Moses. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, my Lord, nor may any foreigner living among you eat the blood. Now, 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 if you listen good, you, you will understand what God is talking about here before I even explain it. Now, any Israelite or any foreigner living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. It never said we, could, we couldn't even eat meat. It said you must drain the blood out of that animal first before you eat it here. And then you cover that blood in dirt. It, it may be in your Bible, say earth, but you, you know, you put the blood on the ground and you cover that blood with the dirt. Okay. Because the life of every creature is in its blood. Now that is why I have said to the Israelites, God said, and we're not Israelites here, saints. I have said to the Israelites, and I'm going to say this again. He was talking back then at that time, you must not eat the blood of any creature. Because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats its blood must be cut off. Okay, anyone who eats the blood of the animal, eat it. Now, you know you can't eat blood, but you can mix it in food. Because back then we had some pagan worshipers that made blood sausages. Yeah. And, um, and ate those blood sausages. So that's why God included them. I thought I'd share that. Uh, the foreigners too, the, the non-Israelites back then. Look, if you tell them they shouldn't eat the blood either. They need to drain that blood from that animal. Okay. Now, perhaps you uh, had friends or loved ones who had been in an accident or endured an operation where blood was needed to replace their own. Now, if we lose too much blood or if our blood is allowed to become overly contaminated, we will die 
because as this verse says, the life of every creature is in its blood. Now I can tell you a story saints, and this was true. I was watching television and you know, the cameras were following the emergency room and all the trauma that goes on in, in emergency rooms. And they had this lady who needed emergency surgery and she was a Jehovah's witness. Okay. Who, who misunderstand this Bible beyond my comprehension. And, uh, she, the surgery was successful, but she refused to accept the blood transfusion and she needed that in order for her to survive. And she was adamant. She, no, no, all because of what she learned within the Jehovah's Witness um, religion. And they got that from these scriptures we just read. And you didn't read anywhere that God said that we couldn't have a blood transfusion. As a matter of fact, the doctors back then were not as advanced as they are today. We can have a transfusion, human transfusion. And if you look, we just read, not one time were they talking about human blood. We were talking about animal bloods, especially the blood of the animals that were sacrificed for our atoning sins. Now, it never mentioned human blood, but that is what Jehovah's Witnesses are going by. And this lady died as a result. All she needed was a blood transfusion. That's it, from a human. It wasn't going to be blood from animals because blood from animals doesn't work in our body. Our blood types are different. You cannot put the blood of an animal in a human being, nor can you put the, put the uh, blood of a human being inside of an animal. It won't work. No, it won't work. So um, I hope the Jehovah's Witnesses that are listening today understand that man can't change the word of God. And if they are misunderstanding these scriptures, now you may have a better understanding. You can't take these scriptures out of context. And if you just read this, and if you do take it out of context, it ain't talking about human blood. And it, it didn't say you couldn't eat meat either. It says, look, just take when you uh, eat the uh, animal or either the bird, you drain the blood from them and just cover the blood in the, in, the, uh, in the earth, under dirt. You know, that's what the Bible is saying. But if you need a blood transfusion, if you are having surgery or if you are in a bad accident, in order for you to live, it is okay for you to have a blood transfusion. Okay, saints. All right. Now, I don't want to hop on that uh, too much, so let's keep it moving. Now, for the ancient Hebrew, as well as modern Jews, the blood of animals and people were sacred. Okay. It, it was sacred. Now, the verse that we just read, it make that abundantly clear that the blood of animals were sacred, that blood period is, is sacred because the Bible says that the life of the, of the creature is in its blood. Now, if a Hebrew ate blood, the penalty was for him to be cut off from his people. That's in Leviticus 18, eight. And he was to be executed. Now in Acts 15, 23 through 29, we have a letter from Paul and Barnabas to the Gentile believers that were in Antioch. And this is regarding us. Okay. Now this had to do with Jewish dietary restrictions. And, um, these were some Gentiles who were 
uh, pagan worshipers who converted over to Christianity. They believed the gospel, honey, and they were included into the fold. That's right. They are our sisters and brothers. Now, Paul and Barnabas mentioned only four things to be continued amongst the Gentiles because we don't follow the laws of Moses. And among them, eating of blood was forbidden. We shouldn't be eating blood. We shouldn't be eating rare meat. People be ordering rare steaks and all that. No, I, I, when I was eating meat, I don't eat meat, you know, just for the sake of uh, health. And I lost 66 pounds um, after being hospitalized, you know, worked out, got all that weight off me. Everything is normal. Thank God. Praise God. All of my stats are back to normal, you know, and that's to God be all the glory. Uh, he gave me the strength to work out and, and do what I needed to do to put my physical body back in, um, the, uh, state it was in before I had my stroke. So I'm doing good saints. For those of you who, who had been asking, I'm doing well. And you know what? I wasn't going to go there, but I am now go to Acts chapter 15. And I'm going to read to you the four things that Paul, who is our apostle, the apostle for the Gentiles told us not to eat. I mean, or told us not to do. Now that was one of them. Go to Acts 15. So I can wait with you guys since I'm just now trying to pull these scriptures up. I had no intentions on reading them, but I think it bears reading. I don't want you, you know, reading them by yourself and you misunderstanding something. You have to be guided through these scriptures. <sighs> okay, let me start at verse 22. Um, now, this is Paul who were talking to some elders, some Jewish elders, leaders, um, about the Gentiles being saved, accepting Christ, and what things that they needed to continue that were extracted from the law so that we can do well, but it has it absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. Let me make that clear, okay? Verse 22, and I'm reading from the New King James. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to um, Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named uh, Barabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words of upsettling your souls, well, unsettling your souls, verse 8, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Now, did you hear what the apostles just say it to the Gentiles. And he's talking to us. We haven't given you no commandment to keep the laws of Moses or you have to be circumcised. No, honey, we all that is dead. We are under a new covenant. We have nothing to do with the Abrahamic covenant or the Mosaic covenant. We are under the covenant of love, the, the blood bought covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, verses 25, verse 25. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord, meaning they all met, all of the apostles met, all 12 of them met, and they discussed this. 
And they said, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, we have before sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same, same things by word of mouth. Meaning Judas is coming to tell, Judas and Silas is coming to tell you guys exactly what we told them to say. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now you can't argue with the Holy Spirit. They consulted with the Holy Spirit. We already know all of the apostles were filled with Holy Spirits and performed some miraculous miracles. You hear me? The same miracles that Jesus performed, raising people from the dead, healing the sick, laying hands on the lame and they healed, they recovered and they were healed. Now, listen, now let me do 28 uh, again before I move into the main scripture. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. These are necessary. Verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to, offered to idols. We do not accept or be involved with any people that are uh, offering things to idols. Uh, we abstain from blood. That's two. Number one is things offered to idols uh, from blood, meaning the blood of animals, not the blood of humans. Because remember, they are referring to the laws of Moses. Okay. From things strangled. This is number three. The thing strangled is any animals that were strangled rather than cut with a knife and then the blood drained out of them. We should abstain from that. Now, we got to do this by faith, which is why some people just don't eat meat, period, because they don't know if the animal was strangled or not. But that is not how in America, that is not what they do. You know, they, they use a knife to uh, kill the animals or they cut the animal head off. You cannot strangle the animal. If they do, we are told to stay away from that. Okay. Um, number one, again, um, things offered to idols. Number two, from blood, from things strangled. Number three, and the last one, stay away from sexual immorality, meaning fornication, meaning adultery and homosexuality. You can be delivered and washed from all of that. They saying, stay away from these four things. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, this has nothing to do with your salvation, but I can tell you this. It will extend your life. Your life won't be cut short. But those are the four things that we are told to stay away from. And if you want to uh, read about it again or, or underline this, go over it with some people. You can go over it with the pastor in your church. It's Acts 15 verses 22 to 29. It talks about the four things we as Gentiles are told to stay away from so that we can do well. Not for salvation. You, you, you can't even put the word salvation there. It's so that we can do well. Okay, now how many of y'all by, by a show of hands? I can't see you. Uh, follow these four. Mm -hmm. One hand out of 4,000? Yeah, all right. Yeah, so well, if you want to uh, keep from getting sick, you want your life to, to be extended to where you live to be 70 or over, you know, abstain from those things. That's all. Just stay away from those things. Now, um, I just read to you the, uh, the mention, I want to get back on track of the four things that we are told to stay away from. And, uh, what led us there is I was talking about the blood, 
That's one of the things. So we need to t stay away from blood of animals. It shouldn't be in our food. It shouldn't be in your chicken. If you see it, you shouldn't eat it. Your food should be cooked well, okay? Because the life of that animal, it's in its blood. Now, can you imagine back then what the reaction of the people was when they heard Jesus say in John 6, 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. <laughs> this is why we need somebody to rightly divide the scriptures. Now, if the Bible say rightly divide, that means there's a wrong way to divide the scriptures too. Now, we are told that many of his disciples at that time were, were offended and they left Jesus. And that's back in John chapter 6, verses uh, 59 through 66. So what could Jesus have possibly been talking about? We have the answer in Matthew 26. Okay, go there. Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28. And it says, Then he, Jesus, took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, his disciples, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, not all, for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood he was speaking of was the wine. Okay, the uh, wine is symbolic to the, the blood of Jesus. That's, and we do this, you know, every time your church or your service have communion. This is what Jesus is saying. Speaking of the wine of the Lord's Supper that commemorates the blood of Christ. Okay, it was the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross for his church. Hallelujah. Now, many uh, metaphors might be drawn from the blood that brings physical life and Jesus's spiritual blood that brings eternal life. For instance, natural blood brings oxygen to our cells, nourishing the body. Now the same, in the same way, Jesus's blood taken in the Lord's supper, it nourishes us spiritually. Now, and further, John says in first uh, John one seven, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, talking about Jesus, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, it purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Jesus's blood purifies us just as uh, natural blood carries waste materials from the cells of the body and cleanses them through our kidneys and liver, okay? Now, the clearest verses regarding um, how blood in the Old Testament reaches its uh, fulfillment in Jesus's blood is found in Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. Now, I'm definitely gonna paraphrase through here because it's chapter nine. Now, this is talking about the blood of Jesus. Now, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, it, it talks about the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a, a, a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And that's verses 13 and 14. 
Now Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. And Moses is talking directly to the Israelites. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. My Lord, my Lord. So saints, look, we need to understand the two different covenants. We are under the covenant of the Lord, the blood-bought covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not under the, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that was strictly for the uh, Israelites. Okay, we are not Israelites. There, there's some cult that uh, formed some years ago. Um, and it's rearing his ugly head again. They calling themselves black Hebrew Israelites. And let me tell you something. I know some people who told me that their brother or family members have converted over to them. And because these people are uh, twisting scriptures in the old Testament, talking about they descendants of the Israelites. No, we're not baby. We born and raised in America. We are Americans. We are Gentiles. We are not Jews. Don't forget the Israelites are Jews. Okay. We are not Jews. We are Gentiles. Didn't we just read where Paul and the rest of the apostles said, hey, to the Gentiles, just tell them, you know, we didn't say they needed to follow the laws of Moses. We didn't say that. But these are the four things they need to abstain from so that they can do well. Honey, we are saved by grace through faith, honey, not of works, meaning the works of the law. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't boast about, oh, yeah, I do this and I keep this. No, honey, but do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Now, are y'all familiar with uh, a songwriter? His name was William Cooper. And he wrote this hymn that everybody knows. He wrote this hymn back in 1771. And it says, there is a, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood or, or beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. My Lord, the blood of Christ is the most precious element that ever existed. Hallelujah. Son, saints, have you plunged beneath that blood? Huh? Have you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, uh, trot on over to Numbers. Let's continue this. I ain't used to sharing uh, this message early in the morning, saints. Oh, Trot on over to the Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, and I'm going to paraphrase through here. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and, um, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. This is very important, saints. Oh, my God. How, uh, pay attention. He says, speak to the rock before their eyes, the, the, before the eyes of the assembly, and the rock will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock from the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him, just as who? Just as God, the Lord had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. <laughs> Moses was tired of them. <laughs> but he said, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Now, that was a question. Moses was saying, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses, and I want you to pay attention. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. 
water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses, my Lord, my Lord, and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I, I give them. Now, I told you earlier at the beginning of this episode that God was going to remove Moses from that task of leading the Israelites into the promised land. My Lord, why? We just read. Remember God said to speak to the rock? Okay. Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Mm -hmm. Now in the New Testament, Paul wrote these words to the church at Corinth, uh, the Corinthian church. Uh, the Hebrews in the wilderness all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Jesus. Okay, this rock that we just read about in Numbers represents Jesus. Okay, that rock was Jesus. Now, we have once again a specific parallel between the Old Testament type, the rock in the desert that brought forth water, and its anti-type, Christ. The rock who brings forth the water of life. We looked briefly at another similar rock in chapter 32. Okay, it was chapter 32 in Numbers. There, Moses was instructed by God to, to strike the rock and water will gush forth. Oh, please pay attention, saints. I got to slow down because I need you to understand this, what I'm getting ready to say. <sighs> Moses was instructed in Numbers 32 to strike the rock and water will gush forth. Now, Moses' rod at that time was his rod of judgment. Now, which he struck the Nile and performed God's miracles in front of Pharaoh and his magicians. Now, that was in Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7, if y'all want to read about that. Now, Moses struck the rock only once and water for the people flowed out of it. Now, the striking of the rock cries out about God's judgment poured out on Jesus on the cross. Okay? Now, in this instance, God told Moses to speak to the rock and water would flow from it. He said, speak to the rock. Now, how many of y'all know it's a difference between speaking and hitting? Or speaking, or as the Bible says, striking. Now, for some reason, unlike in, in uh, Exodus, Moses, he hit the rock with his, pre his priestly staff. He chose to hit the rock. I don't know if Moses was tired. I don't know what Moses was thinking about, but he, he paid a dear price for not obeying God. I don't think he uh, disobeyed God intentionally. I just, because don't forget Moses was human, 100% in and out. Now he struck the rock not only once, but he hit it twice. Moses disobeyed God by strike, striking the rock and not just speaking to it like God had commanded him. Then to compound the sin, he hit it a second time. Because of his sin, God relieved Moses of his future command of the Israelites. He couldn't lead them into the promised land. Now Moses was, was not to hit the rock in the wilderness because, pay attention, a rock had already been struck. Oh my God. 
he had already struck a rock. Now, it was no need for him to hit the rock again. That's why God told Moses to put on his priestly or his prophetic hat and speak to the rock, not hit it. Now, in the same way, the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament tells us this about Jesus' sacrifice for himself. My Lord, my Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 through 28, and I'm a paraphrase through here. It says, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again. And again, the way the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once. He wasn't sacrificed no three, four, five times every time you sin. No, he was sacrificed once. There was no need for Moses to hit that rock twice because it had been hit already. God said, speak to the rock. Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who, who are waiting for him. That's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25 through 28. Now, to claim that Christ needs to be sacrificed again and again, rather than once and for all, it, uh, for number one, it's not biblical, okay? That he have to keep being sacrificed again and again and again. Uh, once a sinner is saved um, through the confession and statement that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then they happen to fall into sin the next day, probably the same day, um, that you got to go back and, and sacrifice again. No, honey, that's not going to happen. Christ died once and fall for those who believe. No, you just confess your sins and God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Don't confess them to your, your criticizing uh, sisters and brothers in Christ who don't understand his word. Because what's happening is they're trying to make themselves feel good about their unholy lifestyle. You sinning, trying to bring you down to their level. Nobody on this planet is walking around not sinning, including Christians. Now, there are some sins we have control over. There are some sins that you commit every day that you are unaware of because you can't keep up with sin. That's why we need a savior. We wouldn't need a savior if we can control everything that we do. We wouldn't need a savior. You can cut your life short living in open sin. Now, the apostle Paul says that those who practice sin, and he, he was talking to the Corinthian church, who was a gifted church, a spiritual church, but they was full of sin. He said those who practice sin don't know God. Now, that's true. Now, if you practice sinning with no remorse and you, I mean, you just wake up sinning, plotting to sin, just planning on sinning and, and feel good about sinning. No, you don't know the Lord. You have deceived yourself, honey. Yeah. So I want you to understand this. Christ once for all sacrificed for his people. Okay. To call Jesus down time and uh, time again to shed his precious blood, it disparages the complete and final efficacy of the cross. Okay. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And, uh, we know this through the scriptures alone. And because of this, all glory is to God alone. Okay. Jesus paid it all. He was struck once for our salvation. 
To strike him again is to bring contempt upon his perfect work. And for Moses to strike that rock, which represented the Lord Jesus Christ, more than once after God told him to just go speak to the rock, he had already hit the rock. Well, it was another rock, but Christ represented all the rocks that are spoken of in, in, in the Bible. Christ is that rock. So why did Moses do that? I don't know. I don't know, saints. I don't know. But let's try to close this up. I'm getting a little tired and we, we are approaching um, an hour. So we're still in Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. And I'm reading from the NIV. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. My goodness, I guess you're going to say, how in the world is Dr. Kamala D going to tie that snake on the pole to Jesus? Well, guess what? That's what I'm here for. Yeah, we're going to tie that snake on the pole to Jesus. Now, the Israelites had just destroyed the Canaanites after praying to the Lord for a victory over them. Now, after that, they set out toward the Red Sea. As they traveled, they complained about the Lord's provisions again. They were always complaining, but this time they had an eye-opening experience with the Lord himself, okay? Oh, my God. They spoke against God and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Now, why would God save them to bring them out to die? Hmm. Now, this is the bread. There is water and we detest this miserable food. They were even complaining about the water they were drinking and the food that God was providing for them for their bodies to live. Okay. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Now the people came to Moses and said, we sinned. Oh, that was an eye-opening experience there. They know Moses didn't send them snakes. Them snakes disappeared, just appeared out of nowhere. That was God. Now we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And, and that's in Numbers 21, 4 through 7. Moses prayed for the people. Always, but I want you to uh, remember this as we go through this series, how merciful God was to those disobedient Israelites. And we are under a new and better covenant. So you think just because you fall every now and then that God cut you off. No, honey, man can say with their mouth all they, all they want to that God cut you off because you sinned. No, he didn't. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. I want you to pay attention. God is faithful, not man. God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Thank God for his son, Jesus. Thank God for his saving grace. Man can't save you, saints. Only God can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I got to slow down here because I need you to understand this. About the snake, how we're going to tie it to Jesus. Now, a snake seems to be a strange way to picture Christ, right? Now, normally when we think of a serpent, it is indicative to Satan. Because remember, it was Satan in the form of a serpent that deceived Eve in the garden that led her to deceive her husband, Adam. Okay. Now, an even stranger is that 
he uses a bronze image of a snake to heal poisonous snake bites. But listen, saints, now even more stranger than that, the text tells us that many Israelites died and they weren't, <laughs> they weren't resurrected or raised from the grave. They died because they complained constantly against God and against Moses. But in the New Testament, Jesus says this in John 3, 14, 15. This is how we tie Jesus to the snake. Listen, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so shall the son of man be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus tied himself to that snake. Now, let me elaborate because I had to listen to the Holy Spirit on this one. I didn't have revelation of this until I started studying for it and God gave me the revelation. Now, the context of those verses is where Jesus speaks with Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the uh, ruling council. That's who he was talking to in John 3, 14 and 15. Now, during the course of their conversation, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. John 3, 3. Then after speaking of the bronze snake, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or either eternal life. That's John 3, 16. You guys should have that scripture embedded in your heart. Those who are saved. Now, the story in Numbers chapter 21 gives us the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. First, we need to understand the heinous of sin, how horrible sin is, any sin. Here, the people, they just simply complained about the food. Complaining against God is something we, you know, saints do today. Yeah, people do that every day, complain against God. Why you took my son? God didn't take your son. Your son was out there living with Satan and Satan took him. That's who took him. You know, why these hurricanes coming? Oh my God, another one coming. I'm leaving. I'm running to another state and you're going to run right into another, uh, another disaster. Because where there's not hurricanes, there are tornadoes. And where there isn't tornadoes, there are earthquakes. Okay? So we need to just start trusting God. Because when the smoke clear, you still standing. You standing enough to complain. That ought to tell you God brought you through it. Okay? I don't want to digress too much. Let me stay on my, my little notes now. Now, I want you to uh, think about the complaining today. Now, ask yourself, does this deserve death under the fangs of a serpent? Hmm. You're complaining. Now, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23, it does. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. And again, he says in, in um, chapter 3.23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. This is every person's situation. All have sinned. Everyone have sinned. Now, just like the Israelites, what can we do about it? Huh? I want you to notice that the solution to the Israelites' problem with all those venomous snake bites is not to stump on the snakes, okay, or somehow kill the snakes. Nothing in their power can provide a solution, but in his grace, God provides the care. Some of the Israelites must have been, you know, you know, incredulous, you know, about the bronze snake on a pole and then they were healed by it. You know, I guess they thought about how ridiculous this is. But look, let me tell you something.
People today are just as incredulous regarding the gospel. But we shouldn't be surprised because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the gospel or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness and it's not understood by people who are perishing. They are dying. They're not going to heaven with you. Uh-uh. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And as Jesus reveals in John 3, 14, 15, that just as the bronze snake was lifted up, so he too would be lifted up on the cross, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, God provides our salvation from the beginning to the end. Like the Israelites, we are powerless to escape his judgment. Mm -hmm. As Paul also writes in Romans 5, 6, and 8, you see it. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, or yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will, will anyone die for a righteous man. This is Paul talking. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. While we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to get right first. He died for us while we were still sinners because we couldn't save ourselves. It's nothing you can do to save yourself. Mother Teresa, if she didn't confess Christ or believe in her heart that Christ was raised from the dead, unfortunately, she would be burning in hell. So your good works, honey, can't save you. Good works come after salvation as proof that you have accepted Christ. Come after salvation. But if you're doing good works to be saved and you don't know Christ, honey, you're already condemned. Let me take a drink after that. I'm drinking tea, guys. I don't drink alcohol. So tying Jesus to that snake, he is judgment and he is savior. Absolutely. Judgment. That snake, God sent that snake to judge the Israelites for complaining against him, meaning they were sinning against him. Christ went to the cross. And he bore every sin and every punishment and judgment was put on Christ because of the sin of the world. And Christ was raised from the dead to heal and save everybody in the world that believes on him. That's how you tie Christ to that snake. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I ask you, what about you? Are you trying to stump on the snakes of sin in your life? Are you counting on your good works to get to heaven? Or are you looking only to the cross of Jesus, our Savior? Because I'm here to tell you, saints, your good works ain't going to do it. Your good works, what the prophet said in the Old Testament, our works are as filthy rags. Honey, God ain't accepting your dirty, filthy works. Doing good works so man can see you and praise you and validate you. Uh-uh, only the works of Christ. So, saints, we're going to close out... Um, Episode 10 today, and hopefully I can share episode 11 this week. And I did promise, so I am. I, I'm going to have to make time no matter how busy I am. When I get off from work, I'm just have to come and share episode 11. As you can see, it's getting better and better. We are finding Jesus in the Old Testament, comparing Jesus in the Old Testament, and then validating in the New Testament that Jesus tied himself to those scriptures. So saints, for those of you who don't know who Jesus is today, Hopefully God has touched your heart and searched your heart. All you do is go to Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, meaning that he is Lord, he is the son of God, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that he rose on that third day and he is now seated at God's right hand. You are saved. That's God's salvation plan, not man. Man to have you working, jumping through hoops, doing backflips off a cliff, trying to make a perfect dive. No, honey, it is just that simple. And once you are saved, you are sealed until the day of redemption. And no man can take that away from you. Man can unsave you. Salvation is not in the hands of man. It is in the hand and plans of God. So saints, if you made that confession, you are saved. Find a faith-based teaching church because it'll be a shame for you to have accepted salvation and you are saved and then go sit under false teaching. Nah, you can't grow like that, saints. You cannot grow. So I will suggest that you tie yourself to a non-denominational church that's teaching the truth. Ask God for wisdom because it is God's responsibility to give you the revelation of the scriptures when the pastor or the teacher is reading and teaching. It is God's responsibility to give you the increase. What did the apostle Paul tell the Corinthian church when they were out there talking about? We are of Apollos. Some following Paul. Some said, I am of Christ. Paul said, but it is who were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized in the name of uh, Apollos? He said, look, I can plant, Apollos can water, or however he put it. But it is God's responsibility to give you the increase. So you have to grow in grace by sitting under God's ministers. No matter how much us teachers of the gospel don't want to share certain scriptures because we don't, you know, some of these scriptures, I'd be like, oh man, God, just, oh man. I still believe it and I still live it because it's God's word and we are to trust God at his word. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. So saints, until next time, I want you guys to stay walking with Christ, continue to grow in his word, study the scriptures that I shared with you today and didn't read. Peace out. enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to click the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. English Standard Version. Please sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Now until next time, my sisters and brothers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. 
I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And remember, continue to walk with Jesus. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.